This is IAQ Radio, Indoor Air Quality Radio, the voice of the indoor air quality industry, with your hosts, Radio Joe Hughes and the Z-Man, Cliff Zlotnick. And now, Radio Joe Hughes. Good day, wherever you're listening from, and welcome to episode 460 of IAQ Radio. This is Friday, May 19th, 2017, and this week we welcome Rachel Gutter, Chief Product Officer of the International Well Building Institute. We're going to talk about the well building standard and uh, looking forward to an interesting discussion. But before we get started, we have to thank our marquee sponsors. IAQ Radio marquee sponsors are John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop. Visit them at johndon.com. That's J-O-N-D-O-N.com. Healthy Indoor Magazine, a free online digital magazine for industry professionals and consumers. Subscriptions are available at iaq.net. Legends Environmental Insurance, the experts in insurance for environmental consultants and contractors for over 20 years at legends-enviro.com. That's legends-enviro.com. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IAQ Radio when you inquire about their services or products. And last but not least, please visit the IAQ Training Institute website for the most current dates for the training you trust at iaqtraining.com. Also, you can have a look at the Healthy Building Summit coming up less than six months away now. Let's turn it over to the Z-Man for today's IAQ Radio trivia question. And now you can win a cool prize. It's time for the IAQ Radio Trivia Question. Be the first to correctly answer. Simply email your answer to czlotnick at cs.com. Or if listening live, just text your answer from your computer. And now, here's the Z-Man with this week's IAQ Radio Trivia Question. I'm sorry to report there was no correct answer to our last IQ Radio trivia question. The IQ Radio trivia question for today, May 19, 2017, has been sponsored by Ideas, a solution chemistry company, creating unique solutions to odor removal, surface cleaning, and decontamination problems. Now for today's IQ Radio trivia question. What is the focus of the well building standard? Back to you, Joe. Thank you, Cliff. Okay, so this week we're going to talk about uh, the well building standard, and our guest is Rachel Gutter. She's the chief product officer for the International Well Building Institute. She joined the International Well Building Institute in late 2016, I hope I have that right, Rachel, as senior vice president, bringing with her a wealth of cross cutting experience in safer, healthier environments where they matter the most, in school rooms across the globe. She joined the International Well Building Institute after a nine-year career at the U.S. Green Building Council, where she founded the Center for Green Schools, and I learned in the, uh, the lead-up to the show she was a school teacher prior to that, so we have a similar background. She's a widely sought-after expert and inspiring speaker. The rallying cry of where our children learn matters caught the imagination of the New York Times, Washington Post, NPR, Parenting Magazine, Fox News, and CNN, among hundreds of other news outlets. In 2012, she received the World Greed Building Council's Chairman's Award and was honored by Martha Stewart's Whole Living Magazine as an eco-heroine in 2011. Good day. Rachel, do we have you on the line? Sure do. Welcome. Great to have you. Thank you so much. Yeah, great to be with you. So, did I have that right? You started with um, the Well Instant International Well Building Institute in 2016. That's correct. Okay. Although my experience with um, IWBI and the Well Building Standard um, dates back a few years before that, uh, where I was uh, supporting the education programs uh, at IWBI from my perch at USGBC. Um, IWBI and the U.S. Green Building Council enjoy uh, a longstanding partnership um, and a lot of uh, a lot of goals and visions in common. So um, I've, I've been familiar to the team, but um, it's, I'm only about six months into the uh, to my work at IWBI. Where where is the the team the IWBI uh, where are they located? 
Well, we're a global organization with um, outfits that are popping up all over the world, but our headquarters are located in New York City. And how? What was the reason for the you know the starting up of of this group? What was there a um, you know, you've got the LEAD program, USGBC, you work closely with them, I see. Was there a, a need that people thought wasn't being fulfilled? Well, I think that the need was being fulfilled, um, but, but there was an opportunity to really accelerate uh, a conversation and market transformation toward um, healthier spaces, toward buildings and communities that really put people first. Um, you know, at... Uh, IWBI were standing on the shoulders of giants, um, the heroes of the green building movement, many of them who have been engaged with the U.S. Green Building Council. Um, USGBC pioneered, uh, along with that movement, some of the um, earliest progress as it relates to health and wellness in buildings, daylight and outdoor views, active design, uh, improved air quality, enhanced materials. Um, but, you know, as, as the, the terminology implies, the true north of green building, um, you know, is really about planetary health. And at IWBI, we saw an opportunity um, to shift a conversation to be more squarely focused on the people who reside inside of the buildings. Now, of course, you know, if you've, if you've worked in, 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 in any of these related fields, including um, IAQ fields, you know that the relationship between planetary health and human health is inextricable. Um, so I think it's a repositioning of a conversation and a deepening um, of a commitment because IWBI and the Well Building Standard introduce a variety of aspects of human health uh, in the built that can be influenced through the built environment um, that that traditionally haven't been touched upon, or at least not not uh, not in a, uh, in a in a in a deep way through the uh, through green building standards like LEED. And as, as I understand the the standard, the, the well building standard, it, it it appears you encourage people to work both in the LEED program or, or the Better Living or, or other programs along with this well building standard. Is that accurate to say? Absolutely true. We strongly encourage project teams to seek dual certification, and a lot of the work that I'm doing in my new position as chief product officer is about um, deepening the incentives uh, and, and streamlining the effort of pursuing dual certification um, across green building rating systems like LEED or Green Star or BREEAM um, in combination with WELL. And what is what is your role as the chief product officer? That's a, a new title for me. Um, well, it, it, it probably sounds a lot like what I think that it is, which is um, I oversee all of the um, products, the product development and evolution uh, at IWBI. Of course, our core product is the Well Building Standard, the certification for healthy buildings. Um, and uh, I also oversee all of our um, education programs and products um, and some of the new initiatives that we're working on to advance human health in the built environment. Okay. I, I'm glad I clarified that because I, I thought for some reason it, it had to do with the products that go into buildings, but it's the products of the IW, uh, IWBI. Correct. And you had, you've had a lot of experience in developing online training programs in the past. Is that a big focus of the IWBI? Well, it's a big focus of today's learners, so it has to be a big focus of IWBI. Today, the majority of learners across the globe not only learn on online through um, digital pathways, the majority of them are, are learning from their uh, iPhones and from their tablets. This was a major shift um, in education that we've seen over the last decade. So in order to reach uh, our core customers and our core champions where they are, we've got to really think about how online education platforms can support their learning goals. Well, let's let's talk a little bit about who those core customers are and, and the core champions. First, how many people are, or how many buildings are currently certified through the uh, through the well building standard, and um, how many are in the pipeline? So, um, we launched uh, well in October of 2014, and since then, um, 25 projects across the globe have achieved well certification. Um, there are uh, 350 product projects that are in the pipeline encompassing uh, 76 million square feet of real estate in 27 countries. And what countries do you get the most interest from? 
Um, well, of course, we've seen um, a, a lot of uptake in the United States, but um, some of the other places where we're seeing well really grow quickly um, in, in, in popularity um, are some of the places in the country with the poorest air quality, um, like China and India, for example. Um, we, we see there that, you know, whereas well is like a vitamin here in the United States, well is an aspirin um, in a place where, you know, you're seeing things like particulate matter um, rise to extraordinarily dangerous levels where we're actually seeing, you know, air quality as in direct connection to um, mortality and morbidity. Um, and so I think those are the places where we'll, we'll, we'll see the demand for well increase steadily. Um, because we know that, um, uh, that that at the end of the day, what you want the most for your family, what that you want the most for your employees um, is to create, you know, environments that are conducive to their health and happiness. I want to get into the standard in a little more detail, but I have one more kind of background question. I, I was reading, I, did, I didn't get through all 250 pages, but I, I scanned quite a bit <laughs> of it. In fact, all of it. <laughs> but it's it's pretty extensive and it's well um, well-referenced, which I, I find very uh, encouraging because it's good to see all those those references at the back. But I noticed in the front end that um, the IWBI is a public benefit corporation whose mission is to improve human health and well-being uh, through the built environment. What, If you could explain to listeners and, and me, what is a public benefit corporation? That's kind of a new term as I understand it. Yeah, it is. A public benefit organization um, is a for-profit company, but with altruistic intentions. Um, and at IWBI, we have pledged to devote 51% of the, uh, of the profits from certification, uh, from well certification to the greater good. Um, so, you know, it's a, it's, it's a newer model for businesses uh, to, to really um, aim for uh, that that intersection that is so familiar to the green building movement, we call it the triple bottom line. You know where people, planet, and prosperity meet in the middle. Okay, and um, Rachel, let's let's go into a little bit more on the standard itself. Can you you tell us a little bit about you know how it was developed and and you know like I said, we already have leads programs and others. How it was different from these other programs? Well, as I said before, um, the, the, the primary difference is that WELL really puts people at the very center of decisions related to building design and operations. Um, <clears throat> when we think about uh, a building, um, our, the greatest expense uh, are the, the people themselves. The greatest expense of, of a business um, is the investment that we make uh, within the people. So. Um, uh, well seeks to really uh, put people at the very epicenter to make uh, to, to create a framework that guides decision making um, that really leads to environments that optimize everything from um, productivity to and, and performance um, to uh, healthy sleep cycles um, and uh, in, in, improved uh, personal health outcomes. And I've got I think there's seven different categories essentially that the standard looks at you've got air water nourishment light fitness comfort mind and and innovation i'm not sure one two three four five six and i guess innovation i don't know if that's one of the uh, standard requirements or if that's an optional thing can you talk to people a little bit about how the standard is set up there's a, a baseline i guess and then then there's some additional options for people yeah, exactly. So you named our seven core concepts for building performance plus one additional category for innovation. Think of those in your teacher background as like extra credit or bonus points that really encourage projects to go deeper and to explore new practices um, and, and new opportunities for, um, for, for driving human health uh, in buildings. Um, well is made up of, of, of uh, more than 100 features. Those features then um, break down into what we call preconditions and optimizations. So uh, in this first version of WELL, in order to achieve certification, you have to meet all of the preconditions and then the levels of achievement 
um, are determined by the number of optimizations that you achieve above and beyond that baseline. So if you meet all of the preconditions alone, you're awarded uh, a designation of well silver. Um, and based on the number of optimizations that you achieve from there, uh, you can earn well gold or well platinum. We um, uh, ask that all projects um, undergo a multi-phase um, documentation uh, and performance verification process. Um, so that includes a third-party documentation review that is performed by our partners at the Green Building Certification Institute, um, the same organization that does third-party reviews for LEED certification, as well as a number of others. Um, and then something that makes uh, well unique from other uh, certifications, um, particularly green building certifications at present, uh, is that it requires an on-site performance verification. So somebody um, uh, who has been uh, trained by uh, GDCI called a well assessor actually shows up on site and collects air samples, collects water samples, um, performs various site checks, tests, tests acoustics, um, you know, uh, does uh, uh, calculations uh, and measurements related to daylight, et cetera, to determine that the building really is performing as it is intended. And how often is that performance verification required? Well, it's, um, it, it's a one-time deal for your certification, provided that you, um, that, that, that you meet all of the required thresholds. Um, and then recertification is an event that takes place every three years. Um, of course, our aspiration, like so many in the movement, um, is, is to see certification start to progress to um, more of a real-time uh, series of measurements. Um, but, but, you know, due to technology limitations right now um, in relationship to, for instance, to sensors that are able to calibrate these things, that technology is evolving rapidly. I'm amazed at how quickly it's evolving. Um, but, but right now, um, you know, we treat certification as a, as a moment in time. The aspiration is to um, get to a place where we can really evaluate um, performance ongoing and in real time um, and, and even move away from the need to have, you know, uh, the, the people on site collecting all of those samples, collecting all of that information. We know that with smarter buildings and smarter technologies, um, we can get to a place where we can really understand a lot of the building's performance, um, it, you know, day to day and even minute to minute. Um, and that's something that IWBI is deeply invested in is, um, uh, you know, market transformation has to engage the manufacturers of these sensors, the manufacturers of these um, building information technologies in order to, um, uh, to, to, to get us to a place where we truly know that every day when we walk into the building, every day when we lay our heads on that pillow, um, that we're going to, you know, that, that we're showing up to work, live, play, uh, eat, sleep, uh, worship um, in places that, that um, you know, don't get in the way of our health and at best even enhance it. I, know, I, I noticed that also there is some required, I believe it's required, correct me if I'm wrong, paperwork essentially um, documenting that certain things like in filter changes have occurred, inspection of the mechanical system, the coils, etc. Did I get that right? Okay. Yes, exactly. There's a very rigorous documentation process that's required for well certification. That's part of that um, first phase, third-party uh, review conducted by GBCI. Um, and then there's the, the, the second phase um, that, that tests for um, the, the performance of the building with somebody who's actually there on site conducting the measurements and um, performing the calculations. And if Building owners don't continue along with the, you know, the program. They, they lose that certification. Is that accurate? Correct. I mean, we, we, we don't come and take the plaque off of the building, but the market will, um, does understand and, and will increasingly understand that certification um, is a, a, a designation that lasts for three years. And at that point, you've got to demonstrate through our recertification process that that building continues to perform because, as I'm sure you know, um, a building is really only as healthy and only as green as the way that the occupants, um, the way that the facilities management, the way that employees are engaging with it. And I think that's been a criticism of some of the other programs that have been around for longer than the well standard. I assume that you, the, the, the group 
took that into consideration when they were developing this new standard and said, hey, we're going to make sure that there's continuing uh, documentation and maintenance, et cetera, to, to keep these buildings working the way they were intended. Definitely. I think, you know, the whole movement is, 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 is headed in that direction. But I'll tell you that IWBI has a big advantage, which is that the founder and CEO or, or former CEO of USGBC, the creators of LEED, um, now uh, has come on board as the CEO and chairman of the International Well Building Institute. So, you know, for, for myself, having put in uh, 10 years working for Rick Fidrizi um, at USGBC um, and now having uh, come to work for him at IWBI, I think, you know, we have a, a, an, an advantage in the sense that, you know, we know a lot about what made uh, what's made LEED so incredibly successful, but we also know a lot about where we wish that we could have done it better, faster, you know, more impactfully, um, and and uh, and we get to apply those things all over again. You know, um, it's really kind of fun um, to be working in a uh, in a in a movement that's so closely related on a product that's so integrally connected, um, but with a, a lot of knowledge about how we how we um, how we can can do it you know, better this time around. And I think that we, you know, uh, we would be thrilled to be as successful and to transform the market in the kinds of ways that uh, LEED has been able to do. I think we're hoping to be able to channel all of the great lessons that we've learned um, at USGBC and apply them uh, this time around to um, a a slightly different uh, objective. How I noticed the the seven uh, preconditions, I guess they are, are the, are the, well, no, they're not preconditions, but you, you, concepts, yeah. the concepts, air, water, nourishment, light, but it doesn't include energy. And I know there's been, you know, um, criticism in the past of some of the green building standards that they don't necessarily perform better energy wise. And, and I know energy performance isn't necessarily um, a, a wellness issue, except it is a wellness issue for the planet. And I'm wondering, where is energy in here? Or if it's not in there, was it yeah. decided not to? It, it is a wellness issue, actually, as you point out, for for the planet and also for people. Um, we're on the verge of releasing um, the the first pilot edition of our well community standard. Um, and so, when you think about you know starting to apply. Uh, uh, you know, human health practices at, at scale, um, you know, energy uh, and its, its direct tie to, um, you know, for instance, CO2 and air quality, um, you start to realize that, that the health of buildings and the health of people are, you know, completely inextricable. Um, you can't separate them, right? Because, because, you know, let's say I create a building and it's an incredibly healthy building, um, but it has a really high energy footprint. You know, everything that that building is pushing out into the atmosphere is something that I or my neighbor is breathing in. Um, And that's really why we've sought deep and even um, are seeking deeper alignment between these green building rating systems and well, um, because we understand that these things have to go hand in hand, um, because in terms of our long term sustainability as people and planet, um, we've got to be working in, you know, one unified system to take care of one another. So, um, you know, well does touch upon energy in a variety of ways, mostly through the air concept. Um, but when used in combination with green building rating systems, you can really create a building that balances, um, you know, uh, some, some of the uh, priorities that building owners have um, for conserving energy, for instance, and reducing CO2 emissions uh, and enhancing human health. And it turns out um, that those things really can uh, be, uh, be done in concert just uh, last night. I was at the first uh, well and lead certified uh, office space in New York City, uh, Cook Fox Architects, um, where they uh, successfully achieved lead platinum and well gold. And you can really see how all of these concepts um, work hand in hand with, with, with one another. But that energy health nexus is one of the most important conversations that we can be having right now because all of the decisions that we make um, have to take into account um, sustainability at a local level and sustainability at a planetary level. And let's talk a little bit about what types of uh, buildings are currently covered or, or can be certified through through this uh, standard. You currently have a few and you're adding more. If you could tell listeners a little bit more about that. 
Sure. Well, well, version one, the, the version that's currently out in the marketplace, um, was really optimized for developed primarily for commercial and institutional office buildings. Um, but uh, the well features can be applied across a variety of real estate uh, sectors. And we have pilot versions of the standard um, that are currently in place for retail, for multifamily residential, for education projects, as well as restaurant and commercial kitchens. Um, but we also recently adopted um, a new strategy, a strategy that's helping us to bridge toward the next version of the well building standard, which will launch in the first quarter of next year. Um, we call that, that, that approach all projects in. Um, and uh, in, in essence, we now uh, have the ability to work side by side with project teams to do well certification for any building type, um, save single family residential, which will um, uh, come uh, down the line in, in 2018. Um, and so today, projects of all varieties are working toward well certification. Um, we've got some, uh, some, some warehouses that recently registered. We've got some, um, some new school projects that have come into the pipeline, uh, senior living, which is a sector that I'm really excited about. Uh, so at this point, well certification can be applied to any building um, with the exception of single-family homes. You know, it seems like you've, you've got – how big of a group of people currently work at the Well Building Institute, the uh, International Well Building Institute, how many? What what kind of staff size do you have? Well, it reminds me of USDBC early days. Um, I was uh, around the 60th employee, but we, when I joined the team, there were 35 new positions posted. Um, we, in fact, at IWBI, welcomed three new members of the team just this week. I think that our headcount. Um, because it's hard to keep track of it right now. It's somewhere around 25 people. Okay. And, and obviously, at least I'm doing a little quick math here and, and certifying the number of buildings you have at this point. That You know, that you're not paying for yourself, at least I don't think so. I could be wrong. Correct me if I'm wrong. So were there investors that put money into this or were there foundations? Uh, how was? Can you tell us a little bit more about that structure? Yes. Um, well, uh, a, a lot of the initial funding came from um, our founders directly, from Paul Shiala and his brother Pete Shiala, who um, were were very successful um, and leading a, a, a division at Goldman Sachs. Um, uh, Paul got inspired uh, by a lead certification that was happening um, uh, in out, right outside of New York City, um, one of the Goldman Sachs buildings. Um, uh, but he thought, you know, where are the people in all of this? Where's the focus on humans in all of this? And um, that kicked off about uh, six years of dedicated research, um, convening a variety of experts to see, you know, is, is this something that's feasible? Um, and from there, um, they were able to uh, inspire a number of other investors to get along. Um, you were asking earlier about the nature of, of the for-benefit organization, um, and I'll tell you, this is one of the benefits um, as compared to working for a, a, a nonprofit, that we actually have capital to get this business off of the ground, um, whereas, you know, in a nonprofit, um, you're looking at probably a decade of living hand-to-mouth. Um, and so this has allowed us to really gear up all of our efforts um, uh, from product development, you know, through sales um, to, to, um, to, to uh, uh, really attempt to create a transformative force in, in the market. Um, at USDBC, um, I oftentimes refer to lead as the kind of a uh, kind of tickle me Elmo of sustainability. You know, everybody wanted to know how we became so successful, but nobody could quite put their finger on it. Um, and I think USDBC was, you know, saw its its biggest growth um, in a time when there was a when there was a tremendous amount of money pouring into uh, buildings, particularly commercial real estate. Mm -hmm. um, and so it was a special time in history. And of course, USDBC had a special idea um, that really took off. But in the last 10 years, we've seen so many well-intentioned rating systems that um, are, are pushing sustainability and, you know, attempting to drive sustainability into different sectors beyond buildings. Um, and, and we've seen a lot of those, those organizations and those rating systems really struggle um, to reach that, that, that tipping point. Um, and, and so it's been really interesting to start to do work in a, in a, in a for-profit model um, where we really can identify those early investors who are willing to devote funds toward this dream um, that allow us to get a running start. That's very interesting. It's, it's, you know, and that 
kind of seems to be a trend. You have the public-private coalitions working together on on all kinds of things. I, I would imagine you still work with, and correct me if I'm wrong, um, do you have interaction with like the National Center for Healthy Housing and, and other similar groups? Yes, we have many partnerships with nonprofits uh, and and um, associations who are um, have been you know leading in in the space of human health or and leading in the space of buildings uh, for for years. Um, we uh, have a variety of ways in which we interact with experts and um, organizations that um, have within them deep expertise and thought leadership. Um, in fact, on the subject of air quality. Um, in the coming months, we'll be standing up a, uh, an advisory for AIR that's made up of many of the most um, important influencers and experts uh, who can advise us on how to take the standard uh, forward. So, yeah, we, we depend upon those partnerships um, and, and in many cases public-private ones um, to, to get the insight that we need. You know, you, you called it, we're a 25-person shop thereabouts. Um, and so just like USGBC has relied so heavily on volunteers um, uh, and other advisors who um, have lent their brain power, their enthusiasm, their passion um, to make lead what it is today, so too does IWBI rely upon um, a very diffuse network of um, experts uh, and, and practitioners um, and early adopters who are willing to put the time and effort into um, making well successful um, and making this movement really take off. All right. What I'd like to do is we're going to break for our halftime. We're going to thank our sponsors. And when we come back for the second half, I want to dig into the standard a little more and and particularly the, the sections that you know our listeners are more uh, more experienced with and, and they do practice in air and uh, water a little bit and then uh, a couple of the other sections. And uh, we'll be back in 90 seconds with today's guest, Rachel Gutter, Chief Product Officer at the International Well Building Institute. IAQ Radio would like to thank our association sponsors, the Indoor Air Quality Association, a nonprofit multidisciplinary organization dedicated to promoting the exchange of indoor environmental information through education and research. Visit them at iaqa.org. Particles Plus, engineers and manufacturers feature rich particle counters, air quality monitoring, instrumentation, and vacuum pump technology. ParticlesPlus.com, count on us. Gray Wolf Sensing Solutions, who use advanced sensor software technology and embedded computers to provide superior environmental test instrumentation. Visit them, WolfSense.com. IAQ marquee sponsors are... John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop. Visit them at johndon.com. That's J-O-N-D-O-N.com. Healthy Indoor Magazine, a free online digital magazine for industry professionals and consumers. Subscriptions are available at iaq.net. Legends Environmental Insurance, the experts in insurance for environmental consultants and contractors for over 20 years at legends-enviro.com. That's legends-enviro.com. Okay, we're back the second half of our interview. We've got Rachel Gutter with the IWBI International Well Building Institute. We're talking about the well building standard and and Rachel, I I I had a little trouble. I, I had a question here about, you know, the indoor air quality requirements of the standard and they're kind of mixed in with these uh these are, you know, the air, water, nourishment, light, fitness, comfort, mind, innovation, they're kind of all over the place. But I wondered if you could comment just generally on some of the most important indoor air quality requirements and then the opportunities, I guess, is the, um, the other or optimizations that are available in the standard. Sure. Um, as you well know, and I'm sure as pretty much all of your listeners know, the most fundamental component of our health is the air that we breathe. Um, and we know that poor indoor air quality can contribute to conditions from asthma to allergies to upper, upper respiratory uh, disease. So um, the well building standard has a number of features that aim to create optimized indoor air quality to support the health and well-being of building uh, occupants. 
So um, within well, we expand upon the requirements set by the EPA regarding the duration and concentration of various pollutants, including carbon monoxide, lead, nitrogen, dioxide, ozone, particulate matter, um, sulfur dioxide, uh, and we incorporate standards from uh, other uh, agencies, um, not just in the U.S., but for projects um, who are pursuing certification across the world. We reference their local standards as well. Um, and we also, um, of course, rely on evidence-based best practices from industry organizations. Um, so, yeah, you, you see um, aspects of IAQ that, are, that, that uh, cut across a variety of well concepts. Um, but, you know, the majority of them are located within the AIR concept. Um, and I would say that the, the hallmark of the WELL program is the testing that we do specifically um, to, to gauge uh, indoor air quality um, that happens through the on-site performance verification that I mentioned earlier in the program. You know, two weeks ago, we had Ed Light. He's a certified industrial hygienist actually out of the D.C. area. And he was talking about a new AIHA white paper on, on VOCs in uh, const- you know, new buildings, testing of VOCs in new buildings. And, and I didn't get a chance to talk to you about this before the show. Are you familiar with that white paper at all? I am familiar with that white paper. Um, USGBC's resident technical genius and my good friend Brendan Owens, who's the head of lead at USGBC, passed it along to me over dinner the other night. I was like, oh, great. Thank you. Late, late summer reading. But yes, I am familiar with that paper and I'm pretty excited about it. In what way? I mean, is it is it going to change the way you you think the organization maybe looks at this VOC testing? Well, I definitely think that it could. I mean, look, you outed me earlier in the show as being a, a, a former a former school teacher. I was um, an English major, um, and so I don't, you know, I know enough on these subjects to be dangerous. But I, we really at IWBI we rely on um, a, a much broader base of experts through, um, for instance, the advisories that I mentioned were um, in the process of standing up, um, and the advisors that we relied upon heavily for the three phase peer review. Um, that create that that um, looked at the first version of well. Um, so you know, will it directly impact us? I suspect that it will, but I'm going to um, be convening a group of uh, 15 experts, practitioners, well users, um, uh, and air quality specialists to take a look into that paper and help us to make some determinations about what its recommendations have to say um, to inform the well building standard. Now, a lot of the things that that paper point point uh, points out. Um, are things that actually have already been addressed within the well building standard. Um, for instance, um, that paper talks about uh, the, the um, difficulties in testing indoor air quality um, when the building first opens because, of course, we see um, that things like uh, volatile organic compounds decrease dramatically after um, the first couple of uh, days and months of operation um, and well requires that the building be uh, operational and occupied before we come in to do that performance testing. Um, that paper also um, uh, points out uh, an issue with looking at TVOC um, and recently in our uh, efforts toward uh, toward the ongoing improvement of the standard, um, we released what's called an alternative adherence path, um, so basically a new pathway for achieving well certification um, in which we um, allow projects to uh, look at 19 uh, discrete VOCs rather than a blanket total VOC limit. Um, those levels are based on the California Department of Health uh, Public, uh, sorry, the California Department of Public Health Standard Method, uh, version 1.1, which is derived from California's chronic reference uh, exposure levels mentioned in the AIHA paper. Um, so, you know, what, what, the reason why it excites me um, is because I'm, I'm, I just get giddy every time one of these studies helps to move us a step forward. I think about where we were 10 years ago using averaged VOC limits, um, and I think about what a heavy lift that was for the building industry, how difficult it was to track down the, the products that met those requirements. Um, and now you can walk into your local hardware store uh, and buy a zero VOC paint and, you know, safe, uh, safer sealants and adhesives for for instance. So you know, I just see that there's so much progress that's happening right now, and I feel a real gra- a debt of gratitude for, um, for the, 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 the scientists 
the the physicians, the researchers who are really pushing um, that that agenda forward um, and helping us to deepen our understanding um, and to to um, drive better protocols and better technologies. Um, because right now, I think you know the testing that we do for on-site performance verification, you know, it's it's only as good as the technologies that are that are available. So we're you know using the best technology that's out there. But there are still some some challenges, and the testing is still quite onerous. It's quite time-consuming. It requires us to ship samples off to a laboratory. Um, and as I said earlier, I really look forward to that day um, when our buildings are smart enough to know themselves how they're performing, particularly around air quality. Well, we're getting there pretty quickly, actually. It's, it's, it is a great time to be a part of this. I'm wondering, you mentioned, um, we talked about some of the preconditions and, you know, some of this being a heavy lift. Which which of the preconditions is the toughest for building owners to meet, if you know off the top of your head? Air quality, actually. Um, it's being able to pass the, the, the tests um, that we administer to meet the required thresholds for um, air quality around particulate matter uh, and, and volatile organic compounds. Um, and I would say that the second most challenging uh, feature to achieve within well uh, has to do with circadian lighting, um, given that that is a, a pretty new field and um, a, a pretty new set of protocols uh, for measuring a, a building's performance as it relates to circadian lighting. And which which is the easiest? I mean, which one do building owners pretty routinely, you know, handle nowadays without really being urged to? Ooh, that's a good question. I'm not sure that any of them are easy, but I, I am really excited that some of them are becoming just part of the way buildings are designed, built, and operated. You know, they're increasingly accepted best practices. Um, you know, commissioning was seen as a you know, an, an, a new expense um, and requirement when LEED first launched. And now I think you're, you'll seldom find uh, a building, at least in the United States, that doesn't go through a commissioning process because the movement worked so hard to demonstrate the return on investment for testing to make sure a building is built the way you intended for it to be built. Um, another example of, you know, where we've seen market transformation happen um, here domestically, but also increasingly in other places across the world um, is, is with uh, uh, um, universal design um, and ADA, and at least ADA is, is how we'll reference it in the United States. Um, you know, we require uh, that building projects meet ADA requirements. Um, and while you might say, well, that's, you know, what is that? That's just, that's just meeting the law. Um, what I say is that's actually um, one great example of where a policy can actually transform the market. Um, and, you know, why is ADA requirements still important? Well, because so many buildings outside of the United States are not built to those requirements and therefore, um, you know, neglect uh, a, a, a segment of the population um, whose health is just as important as the health of any of us. So, you know, are those easier? I don't know if they're easy, um, but I, I, you know, I think that the people who fought so hard to put those requirements into place wouldn't say there was anything easy about it, um, but they have become increasingly part of, of um, uh, improved best practices uh, that the, the green building movement, I think, has really driven into the mainstream. I've got a text question from a listener. I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how you're going to answer this, but it's, it's about the IAQ component of things and how the tests are administered. So a third party comes in and does this testing, and I didn't see it anywhere in the standard, but I'm sure, you know, I, I went through 250 pages pretty quickly. Do you refer them to a specific test protocol for, let's let's say, for instance, the, the total VOCs of uh, less than 500 micrograms per cubic meter? Um, it, can you talk a little bit more about how that is done? Or, and if it's beyond what yeah, you absolutely. do. Yeah, absolutely. We do have very rigorous protocols um, and, and requirements for the technologies that, that are utilized. Um, that testing is done by a network of qualified well assessors um, who are either employees of the uh, GBCI, the, our certifying um, partner, um, or uh, our designees trained um, and and. Um, designated well uh, assessors uh, who have gone through that that rigorous training um, and who uh, have demonstrated their ability to collect accurate results. So, um, yeah, the, the protocols are are they're very specific um, and they're also evolving because, as I mentioned, um, new technologies are, are are coming into our field and also uh, certain technologies that perhaps weren't 
um, as accurate in the past are uh, increasingly becoming more accurate. So um, our air quality testing uh, revolves around collecting samples that get sent off to a lab to be evaluated. We still um, are uh, not convinced that, um, for instance, the, uh, some of the handheld devices that um, claim to be able to assess particulate matter give us accurate enough results to be tied to a certification event. Okay, that was actually, you anticipated my next question here, and that was on the PM2.5 and PM10. It looks like those are a, a, not something with a handheld meter. You're going to actually require something like what's in the NIOSH compendium, or do you know off the top of your head what the requirement is on that? I don't know the specifics of it, but um, yes, we do We do require that um, that the, that um, uh, 500 microgram per cubic meter, um, for instance, for VOCs be met, and for particulate matter, we also have very strict thresholds, um, and all of those calculations are, um, are, are or, or all of the performance metrics are being derived from samples that are collected and shipped off to um, laboratories, which are also carefully hand-selected by GBCI. And I've got another text question about the protocols. Where do we find those? I, I didn't notice them myself in the standard. Is there another section of the website that has the specific testing protocols? Sure are. There's something called a performance verification guidebook um, that makes transparent all of the protocols that we utilize or that GBCI utilizes to um, conduct the assessments and uh, award or deny certification. Okay. And then we will get... And every, uh, all of those are free downloads. So the standard, um, as well as the performance verification guidebook, are available um, and in the public domain through wellcertified.com. And regardless of your level of expertise, you're a certified industrial hygienist, whatever, you still have to be a lead or a um, uh, well... I forget what you call the people that do assessor. the t assessor. Yeah. Um, because I guess you want them to know the specifics of what's required by the standard. Is that accurate to say? Yeah, I mean, as I understand it from GBCI, the training that you have to go through is quite rigorous, but more importantly um, is the rigor behind the quality control. So um, well assessors um, are, are shadowing ex current well assessors um, and then are having their results carefully reviewed, um, particularly in the early days. Um, and so right now we do have third parties who are being um, approved as well assessors. Um, our intention along with GBCI is to create a, a global body of well assessors um, and even to, to launch the well assessor as a kind of professional credential in the market, you know, so not just to support well certification, but to go, you know, more broadly be able to offer these services to building owners across the world. Um, you know, we're, we're just uh, beginning to certify buildings, right, over the last couple of years. Um, and so we're pacing uh, the training and, and accreditation of well assessors according to the demand for well certification. Um, but I will say that we have had an abundance of interest from qualified firms who are interested in becoming a well assessor. And we'll, uh, we, along with GBCI, will be ramping up those trainings um, to teach people about the protocols, um, how to conduct the measurements, uh, and ultimately to move them uh, toward becoming fully qualified uh, and vetted well assessors. What I know it's tough to say, but what kind of demand do you see for that in, in the future? I mean, we've got a lot of listeners that do indoor air quality consulting work right now. They're fairly familiar with most of these testing protocols. Um, you know, what what's projected with respect to buildings that will be certified in the next, let's say, five years? Well, I think that you're going to see a, a significant growth of demand, of course, for, for well certification. But above and beyond that, I think that you're, what you're starting to see is a, a, a growing demand across building owners and even um, uh, uh, consumers and, and, and homeowners um, to, you know, for understanding the, the air quality uh, within their, their spaces. Um, and so, you know, in, in, uh, I was just talking to somebody who has a, a grandmother in China um, who has a, 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 a device in her house and she knows how to conduct the measurements to identify what the particulate matter um, looks like in her, in her apartment at any given time. Um, you know, the demand is being driven by um, the, the challenges that we face um, with, with particularly in cities um, with, the, with air that is more and more polluted and 
um, more and more detrimental to our health. So, you know, from an industry standpoint, how do I think that the demand will grow? I think it will grow expo- exponentially um, because I think that, uh, you know, but, but, but I'll also say this, that, you know, um, practitioner, the practitioners right now, the well assessors, the firms that can conduct this analysis are vitally important, but so too is the technology. Um, and so I think that there's, uh, that, that, that it's really critical for practitioners um, who are conducting this testing to really be a part of defining that technology um, and, and creating more demand for, uh, uh, for, for, for better, um, uh, better instruments and better uh, better devices that help us to really truly understand in real time how our buildings are performing. I I see one of our listeners just checked and and you you do carbon monoxide PM two point five PM ten ozone method of measurement all parameters direct reading instrument I'm not sure what he meant by that but the total VOCs by a TO fifteen. And formaldehyde does the ISO standard. Okay, um, very interesting. Let me let me point out an interest. What I thought was an interesting and I think encouraging um, portion of the standard here, and it was on the um, filtration and that one of the following requirements. Actually, it's in the standards for particulate matter and inorganic gases. Carbon monoxide has to be less than nine parts per million. PM two point five less than fifteen micrograms per cubic meter. PM10 less than 50 micrograms per cubic meter, and ozone less than 51 ppb. And if you use a demand-controlled ventilation system, it regulates the ventilation rate of the outdoor air to keep carbon dioxide levels in the space below 800 ppm um, measured at, and they tell you where it's measured at. And then, I think it's in the same section, they talk about one of the following requirements is met, a MERV-13 or higher media filter, um, project demonstration that 95% of all hours in a calorie year, etc. And then you have an option, though. Um, to And I think the standard feature is the air filtration maintenance. And then you have an option to record the air filtration maintenance, include evidence that filters have been properly maintained as per the manufacturer. It seems like in just about every area, you give people an option. And I think that's important to, to mention for listeners that it's not always just strictly you must do X, Y, or Z. You've got some options. Correct. I mean, we, we really aim to make the standard performance-based as opposed to um, offering prescriptions, although sometimes in absence of performance-based strategies, we do um, uh, uh, offer a number of prescriptive pathways. But to your point, we try to offer uh, multiple uh, options toward achieving the same intent. Um, and I, I expect that um, as we work toward the next version of the well building standard that you'll see an increasing emphasis on performance um, as well as uh, uh, increasing um, options for uh, achieving more prescriptive pathways. Another good example of that is the cooling coil mold reduction section. And if you use mechanical system for cooling, you must meet one of the following requirements. One is ultraviolet lamps are employed on the cooling coils in the drain pan, or you have to have a building policy that states that all cooling coils are inspected on a quarterly basis for mold growth. I mean, it seems like a pretty common sense approach to it. I I, I like that part of the, the standard. The mold inspection section, I think we could beef that up a little bit, but certainly we could talk more about that after after the show. Um, and yeah. then, you know, there's exterior yeah. liquid water management. It's, it's got, it covers everything. Thank you. Yeah, we do try and cover everything. Um, and yeah, I think a lot of the sections in well could be beefed up, but that is the challenge with market transformation. You're always trying to balance, um, you know, w- what the ideal is versus what the market can take on. Um, and when we put something out there and it's, you know, it, and it goes too far, the market lets us know. Um, and we learned that lesson time and time again when we were at USGBC, and we're learning it all over again here at IWBI. You know, we when you have a market transformation vehicle like Well, you sometimes cannot allow the perfect to be the enemy of the good. You've got to bring people along that journey. Um, because at the end of the day, this is still an optional certification. There's no one requiring you to do Well certification. Um, and so, you know, I think in some instances, we recognize there could be more 
stringent uh, requirements in place. But the question is, would, you know, would the market be able to rise to meet it? And so that's the constant dance that you're doing at an organization like IWBI. Um, and that's why it's so important that we consistently raise the bar um, on, you know, what it takes to be a well-certified building, um, but to do so in concert with our users and in concert with the industry. I've got another text message for you real quick. Uh, I've got the president of the Indoor Air Quality Association, John Lapoter. He's a regular listener, and he said that uh, they would love to work with the IWBI, and, and hopefully we can uh, make that happen because they've got a really good pool of talent that does this type of work on a daily basis out in the field, and uh, I think it would be a great great combination that we might be able to uh, absolutely our door is always open to folks who want to get engaged particularly those with deep technical uh, awareness and expertise we're going to be working on um, a, what we call a the well master class series um, deep dives into all of the seven well concepts um, and so we're looking for partners who can um, help us on both the content as well as the circulation of those important educational offerings um, so maybe the air master class is a place where we could do some good work together. And as I also mentioned, for any of your listeners, um, we'll be convening a series of advisories um, that cut across both concepts as well as building types. So um, advisories for um, all of our concept areas, including air, water, light, uh, nourishment, you named all of them earlier very well, um, and also for building types uh, and, and, and sectors. So um, if folks are interested in getting involved, uh, there is a, uh, an expression of interest form on our website, wellcertified.com, uh, and perhaps we can work with you to um, also post the direct link through, um, through your site um, so that people know how they can register their interest in, in having a, a, a direct relationship with us moving Absolutely. forward. Absolutely. We'll get that in the blog. Let's go to the roundup, John. Move him on, hit him up, hit him up, move him on, move him on, hit him up, raw high. Cut him out, ride him in, ride him in, let him out, cut him out, ride him in, raw Okay, what I'd like, what we do normally here is just ask a final question or two thing. Here's the big question for me. I, I'm, I'm just curious, um, what, what is the best estimate of what the International Well-Building Institute says this participation in this program is going to cost a building owner? Um, well, I think that right now we're seeing a number of projects already, even in these early days, who are reporting a $0 premium in order to achieve well certification. Of course, it depends to some extent on what uh, on what your baseline of design uh, would have been, um, but we see that, um, that, that, and that's not even um, in terms of long-term payback, um, that's $0 that are required, um, you know, to supplement a project's existing budget in order to be be able to achieve well certification. Um, and then, of course, you know, we think that the payback is, uh, is, is incredibly significant. Um, uh, just the, the, the well fees alone can be uh, covered by reducing um, sick days by just, you know, one day or even half a day um, uh, for all of your employee base. So, you know, I, I think that um, it's, a, it's a very small price to pay. If you look at, at uh, the expenditure that the average company has on wellness programs and the, the um, abysmal uh, rates of utilization of those wellness uh, programs, um, and then you compare that to uh, any of the, the, the fees or expenses related to well, um, where, you know, there, it requires no active participation, per se, by employees, but rather passive, in, 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 you know, participation by simply showing up in the building and participating as an employee, um, you know, that, that, that line item starts to look uh, pretty negligible, I think. Um, and so we're um, not only in conversation with building owners um, and with facilities heads, but also um, with HR uh, uh, personnel um, who really see this as a much smarter expenditure of dollars um, with a, a, a much greater success rate in improving human health outcomes, particularly productivity, um, which is really where you know, all of your potential, your true financial gains are gonna be realized in a business context. 
And before we go, I, I had several other sections I wanted to ask you about, but we're running out of time. I just want to let listeners know that, you know, there's a section on air filtration maintenance, on cooling coil mold reduction I mentioned, mold inspections. Um, we've got exterior liquid water management, which I think would be very important and interesting. And they do use the EPA moisture control guide quite a bit throughout the document there's interior liquid water management condensation management material selection and protection air leakage testing relative humidity air sanitization uh, that's one i really uh, hopefully we can do another show sometime with either you or one of your other technical people there and talk a little bit more about all these topics but rachel before we go is there anything you'd like to add anything i missed or a- anything at all no, this has been fun, but you've done a great job, Joe. You really, um, you, you've, you've uh, done a better job probably than I of explaining the standards. So maybe you should be one of our new headcount at IWBI. We're, <laughs> we're accepting new talent all of the time. Well, uh, we can talk um, about that. <laughs> <laughs> but in all seriousness, we do have um, a new indoor air quality specialist who will be joining our team in August, and it would be great to set up a time um, when he could, you know, talk TVOCs and particulate matter to you in the grittiest of details so i hope that we'll stay in touch and set that up for the next time around great when when is when is he joining you august august do you happen to know who that would be or yeah but i can't tell you yet so you'll have to wait till the summer oh i thought i might get it that's all right (laughs) this is (laughs) radio joe hughes saying thank you so much to rachel gutter the chief product officer at the international well building institute great show a lot of nice comments from our listeners uh, we'll be back again next week. We don't have quite things quite lined up for next week, but uh, I want to thank my co-host, the Z-Man, Cliff Zlotnick, uh, at the controls. John, you got to have faith. Most importantly, our growing group of loyal listeners. Please come back and join us next Friday at noon for the next episode of IAQ Radio. For IAQ Radio, I'm Spike Reel saying thanks for listening. <laughs>